Let us worship God. from 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter, beginning with the first verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding, that our hearts and minds may be open to hear your word this day. Amen. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the Church of the Thessalonians in God the Creator and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers constantly, remembering before our God and Creator your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, siblings beloved by God, that God has chosen you, because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, 
just as you know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for God's Son from heaven, whom God raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. in the eyes 
Gospel of Matthew, the 22nd chapter, beginning with the 15th verse. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this? And whose title? They answered, the emperors. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperors, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. Here ends the reading. He opened the door as he'd done a thousand times before, lumbering over in resignation as if to let the dog back inside after 20 minutes of play. But this time, instead of a bright-eyed retriever, two girls in pigtails bounced in. His gait remained unchanged as his granddaughter proudly bounded ahead so eager to show her friend the way to his shop. A second door opened to reveal a hidden storeroom of treasures dusted with time. Large glass jars lined the shelves, each one filled with ribbons of color. This, she said, was the place where the best candies were to be found. Lemon drops, Anise, cinnamon, root beer, butterscotch. It was a short visit, but long enough to be filled with the promise of pillowy mint, friendly watermelon, and mouth-watering green apple. There is something sacred about entering someone else's frozen-in-time place. 
even now, returning in my memory with my friend to her grandfather's candy shop, it's as if the volume is turned down, making room for each glowing watt of wonder. Was it special because it was from another time? How did this place exist? What kind of world had it been? Was it special because of the people? Because it made her glow? Because it was his? We learn the rhythms of the world when we are very young. I knew before I was old enough to go to school that when adults were doing the serious work of visiting, I was to be quiet, orderly, tucked away like a purse in a coat room until they were ready to leave. This was a routine with which I was comfortable. It was one I recognized, one I knew I could complete feeling a sense of accomplishment, the way you do when you tiptoe across the floor and don't step on a single crack. The best places to visit had forgotten rooms. A closet never opened, a lower floor never used. Places a grandmother would send you to discover another generation's well-loved toys. A vacuum filled with colorful plastic balls that bounced with each push across the floor. A wooden duck that flapped its wings as it followed the hand pulling its string. A jar of marbles, a tin of jacks, a hand-painted board game reminiscing with softened hues. It wasn't only the wonder of these objects that made their homes best, though they were wonder-filled. It was visiting the children, now grown and unseen, who once animated them, who lived with them. It was visiting their world, that mystery still living, their laughter still laughing, their parents still baking, their grass still growing. So that when the grown-ups were done with their serious conversation, and the grandmother welcomed us back with a smile in her eyes, my smiling reply was genuine for having visited too. Though perhaps these are the rooms we'd renovate first, they were the rooms that made the house worth visiting, worth listening to. I've been thinking about that this week. What makes a place, a person, a people, us, worthy? It can be a question that touches old pain about being enough. If I were Brene Brown, I'd know the road to exploring that pain. Instead, I hold the question gently, knowing it is present through much of our daily life. What makes someone worthy of teaching us, of standing in a pulpit, and of having words to say? What makes someone worthy of being a part of our family? 
a part of our community, our team? What makes someone worthy of claiming a certain land or a certain identity? What makes someone worthy of protection, of gifts, of support? What makes us worthy of being granted authority, of being heard, protected, adored? Some of those questions have clearer answers, standards we or some entity to whom we've granted authority have agreed upon. And to some of those questions, a wise therapist might have something to say related to our childhood and whether we were seen and held and affirmed in our needs. But in the days of Jesus, psychology had not yet come on the scene. And the people navigated their relationships through exchanges of honor and shame. A teacher was assessed as worthy by being able to handle questions that would otherwise lead to their humiliation. And so Jesus was challenged over and over again to test whether he was worthy for the people to grant authority and for the gospel writers to prove that he was. After every possible group has a turn, Jesus puts them in their place, allowing their questions to reveal their own assumptions and fractured loyalties. In our reading, strange bedfellows confront him, the strict God-fearing Pharisees and the Roman Empire-supporting Herodians, is it lawful, they ask, to pay the emperor tax or not? It's not an innocent question. But when they present the coin, he already won. For to possess the image of the emperor and naming him a god is to break two commandments all at once. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is heaven above or that is an earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am your God. Whatever belonged to the emperor, They were not giving the God who created the world and everything in it God's due. Even after such a feat, the next group is lined up to challenge Jesus the same day. And so the need to assess worthiness continues. For Paul, the legitimacy of a teacher is assessed in the behavior of his students. Their reception of him and their care for one another reflect the truth he carries. Though Paul is often thought of as a heady theologian, his first letter to the Thessalonians is all about relationships. It's all about people and the connections between them that keep them going and that make them feel like their work together 
is worthy. That this dream of a kingdom of heaven is worthy. That we can make a world of difference. I wonder if my friend's grandfather, lumbering once more to the door, knew what a difference he made. I wonder if the grandmother who sent us to discover forgotten toys understood her gift. I never loved old-fashioned candy, not the way my friend did, but I floated alongside her anyway, no less filled with reverence. I understood it was a privilege that she was extending to be trusted with such hollowed ground. It wasn't only the ribbons of color that made this place sweet. It was where she related to her grandfather. It was her grandfather, her frozen-in-time place. So that when he died, her most treasured inheritance was a large glass jar that once filled a shelf. Old, forgotten, dusted with time, still glowing with each watt of wonder, worthy because of the lives lived, because of love, because of the truth of heartache and loss and struggle, because of the truth beheld in a child's love. Thank you.
As we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God.
Let us pray. Holy One, you have fed us in song, in silence, in story, and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and our praise. Amen. Go forth knowing your love can make a world of difference. And may the grace of God who created you in love, the peace of Christ who teaches it is possible to be love, and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Amen. Thank you.